0: This is transistor.fm.
1: This podcast is brought to you by Active Campaign. They make it easy to create email automation campaigns. They'll help you put the right content in front of the right people at the right time. And they have this predictive sending feature I've been telling you about. It sends each individual a message at the right time, the time they're most likely to open it. If you want to try this out for yourself, Head over to activecampaign.com/slash build your sas, where you can start a free trial, get a second month free, and get two free one-on-ones.
0: Hey everyone, welcome to Build Your SAS. This is the behind the scenes story of building a web app in 2019. I'm John Buda, a software engineer.
1: And I'm Justin Jackson and I've been up since 5 am. Follow along as we build transistor.fm. Do you have
0: a new, a new sleep schedule? What do you? I'm
1: st- I think in some ways I'm still on that New York sleep schedule. It's still getting me a bit, but I, l- I was telling you the, the dog woke me up early and I'm one of those people. If you wake me up, especially there's like a, like if you wake me up between th- after 3 a.m. I am not going back to sleep. Right.
0: Yeah, that makes for a rough day.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll see how I do. The nice thing is that when you have a flexible schedule, you can always take a nap. It's true. So we're doing this call early on a Friday. I'm hoping to do some mountain biking after this. We'll nice. see if that happens. But
0: Yeah, nothing like throwing yourself down a mountain when you're tired.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's that whole uh, fight or flight thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it gets
0: uh, something... Uh, yeah, it gets the adrenaline flowing.
1: So, John, I, I don't know if you can feel it. The seasons are changing here.
0: Are we talking about the weather?
1: It's, it is a little chillier in the morning. A little chillier, but I'm saying there's something else going on, and that is there's been a big increase in the number of support tickets we're getting.
0: Yeah. So, we, we've especially the last three days. Yeah, we wake up to like 20-plus questions Mm -hmm. maybe some days Mm
1: -hmm. and it's been really quiet you know some days i it feels like i answer you know three to five yeah but the last few days wow
0: so do you think it's so august was slow for us yeah slower Mm -hmm. do you think it's that august is now ending and everyone's like back in the office and their managers are just like Hey, yep. hey, we got this money. You got to do something with it.
1: Hmm. Uh, I, I mean, I think there's a lot of motivations. I think that's one of them. Yeah. 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 yeah we got, hey, we got this money.
0: <laughs> We've, yeah. I mean, or it's like things that were talked about before mm-hmm. an August break and are now being investigated.
1: That's right. Also, I, you know, when people have summer brain, it's just, they don't want to think about work. They're just thinking about you know, like you said last week, going to the lake. They're thinking about uh, you know, the kids are out of school, so they've they're trying to figure out stuff for their kids to do. And, but I'm even feeling it. Like I'm kind of gearing up. Like my kids go back to school in a few days, and it's like, okay, what big project are we going to tackle right. next? You know. Yeah. So I have actually this. We'll see if this is true. I think an increase in support tickets, at least for us is a leading indicator hmm. that revenue is going to increase. Hmm. Because whenever we've been like crazy with inbound tickets, because um, remember, these are inbound tickets from customers, but also potential customers. right? Uh, so whenever we have an increase in support tickets, we we get an increase in revenue.
0: Yeah, we should keep a note of that. I wonder mm-hmm. if we can see how many tickets we get over time. I don't know if that's a thing we can do.
1: Yeah, we can. In August, we were down 9% in terms of conversations created. Okay, let's see. Let's go back. Uh, And then in July, we were also down 10% in terms of new conversations created. So... Let's see what June was. Was June? I mean, some of this is going to be difficult because, <laughs> hmm. uh, but oh, June was up fourteen percent from huh. the previous month. So we had, we were up in June, but July and August we were down, and uh, uh, May we were up seventeen percent. Hmm. So so far the trend is holding true. That, uh, yeah, April we were down four percent. Some of this I, I'm, will also probably be related to how much. Uh, oh, button, we were up five percent. It seems generally to hold true that there was an increase in support tickets while revenue was going up, and but summer has been lower, at least double digits lower. So we'll see what happens. If if September we see an increase, we'll we'll know. Uh, you had we had a call yesterday where you were telling me about. Uh, two interesting conversations you had about enterprise sales what what was that about yeah yeah they were sort of
0: they were separate but ended up being related so um after uh the race oh I by the way people wanted
1: an update on the race order. i don't know if we ever did that they they said oh. has john done the race yet
0: i i did the race so it was the half ironman in traverse city michigan
1: traverse city
0: which you say is beautiful i've I, it's beautiful. It's a great city. I um I mean I grew up in Michigan, but I really didn't spend any time in Traverse City. I mean occasionally I think my family and I would stop there on the way up north. But it's on the water. It's like a Oh yeah, the Google images for Traverse City is just a a big beach. It's uh it's on the water, it's on a bay. It's got I mean I think in the last decade it's really kind of like gotten big right so it's like got a lot of good food and breweries and just like outdoor stuff and trails and beautiful water so it was the first year they've ever done a race in that city so it was uh the the crowd i think mean, the crowds were great people was people were super nice i think the town itself was really excited about having the race there mm. so they're like you know you're you're on the run or the bike and there's just like people sitting in their lawns cheering you on no way. Yeah, it was cool. Oh, that's nice. Um
1: that's some that's some nice Americana right there. It
0: was. It really yeah, it was cool. Um but I finished the race, like did I think I did pretty well for the first
1: time. Yeah, this uh, is your first time ever doing something like this. And really yeah. like your first time in a bicycle race. Like yeah. the bicycle portion, right?
0: Yeah, that was rough because <laughs> I trained in Chicago, which is entirely flat. Yeah. Um I didn't really train super hard for the biking part. Mm-hmm. Uh so it was, it was just by far my weakest um portion of the whole thing. And Traverse City is that area is really hilly. And the course itself was very hilly and it was just kind of brutal. Like I was mm-hmm. just cursing every hill. But I made it. I mean it was it, the ride it was beautiful. Like beautiful weather, beautiful scenery. You're just like out in these like rolling hills and you pass by like farms and there was a there was a bunch of like hops being grown in one farm oh man uh it was cool it was really cool it was it was tiring but it was it was overall a really cool experience
1: that's awesome next year you're gonna wear a gopro and live stream the whole thing yeah
0: <laughs> i think that's <laughs> illegal oh really yeah they have a pretty strict rules you can't ride you can't ride with your phone you can't ride with headphones you can't you can't, you can't. basically ride with headphones. You, no, they don't allow you to. Because I think what I think what it is is that they don't want people like coaching you.
1: Oh no way! So
0: you can't have your phone. You can't have anything that's that's like cell phone connected. Um. You there's no drafting in the bike portion. Like you have to stay six bike bike lengths behind the person in front of you. A lot of rules in this. So a lot of rules. You can get like yellow cards and like be stuck in a penalty box and stuff.
1: I mean, it's really like for... for How much time did you spend in the penalty box? I
0: didn't spend any...
1: (laughs) uh, didn't get five minutes for fighting or anything like that? Yeah, Yeah, do they have a rule against fighting? That's a good Uh, question. I don't know.
0: I don't... Probably. I don't know what that would fall (laughs) under. Maybe not explicitly.
1: (laughs) Okay, so... Actually, the
0: biggest penalty is for littering. If you, like, Uh-oh. are eating something and you throw it on the ground, you get, like, a five-minute, ten-minute penalty or something. Wow. Pretty well,
1: crazy. of course. But, like, you got to be responsible.
0: You know, for me, actually, the penalty would have been nice because it would have been a rest. But, like, I, w- I, wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't trying to win the race, so it wouldn't have mattered. <laughs>
1: you were like, searching for a Big Mac wrapper you could yeah, throw just, on the ground. <laughs> right. Uh, okay, yeah, so cool. y- you did this with somebody, uh, a friend. A friend of mine. Well, so I...
0: Yeah, I had a friend that I grew up with, that I swam with growing up, who did the race as well. Uh, he came up from Texas. But se- independently of that, uh, I ended up having some friends who were at their um, lake house in Michigan. Okay. And so after the race, I visited with them for a couple of days and... um they so they they live in uh San Francisco area and um they're both sort of involved in like sort of some startup type stuff but also companies that are not necessarily in like the traditional silicon valley like software startup space but okay. but deal a lot with like enterprise contracts and just like still technology like my friend um we both graduated with a computer science degree, and
1: he went on to do architecture. So, um, so he, so they're like so. He's in a different industry, but still doing or yeah. familiar with enterprise yeah. sales. Yeah, and he
0: he does a lot of, a lot of work with technology um, within his his space. Mm-hmm. So, so I was just sort of talking with them one night about some ideas that we have for transistor and how that might that might translate to us having to do inter- enterprise sales and pursuing bigger enterprise clients and how those types of sales would usually work. Because usually usually when you go to uh, a software product's website and it's like, we have an enterprise plan, call us or email us for details and we can figure yeah. it out. I've never worked for a large enough company to even know what that means.
1: Yeah, me neither. Th- those forms were always like... Uh, um, uh, just a big blocker like okay well I'm not going to call these folks
0: yeah it's probably a million dollars yeah um,
1: so generally i mean what
0: it sounds like what happens there is they they have sort of like a base they have base rates that are pretty expensive because generally an enterprise uh plan will involve some sort of like dedicated support or like mm-hmm. a dedicated support person for your account yeah um and we're talking like thousands of dollars a month to start
1: Okay, like so two, three, three grand.
0: Yeah, or, or even, even more. I mean, it obviously depends on, on the, the software, or whatever it is. But, um, so you generally like, you'll call or email or whatever you set up a call with the company and you'll talk about what your needs are. Um, and my friend was like, you know, as someone who has dealt with these enterprise contracts, you don't, you don't want to have any sort of like variability or ambiguity in how much it's going to cost every month. It's like mm. you come up, you decide on a number uh per month or per year or whatever, you have a contract that's like twelve months, a twelve month contract at two thousand dollars a month. Now, like some some software packages are always like they're like per seat licensing, right? So like if you have Yeah, like
1: Slack or something. Yeah,
0: or like GitHub, right? So you can you can
1: So, what do they do for that stuff? You
0: can add a new user for like five bucks a month extra, but then it's going to change your next month's bill, which Mm -hmm. for an enterprise client is a pain in the ass because they depend on like consistency.
1: Okay. So, they don't like that. They don't like this idea of like, hey, we added a few more people. Right. Just add it to the bill.
0: Yeah. So, in terms of like Slack or GitHub, like the enterprise plans probably include like up to, let's say, like a thousand employees. Right. So, you're going to pay. You're going to pay, I don't know, five grand a month for up to, for up to 5,000 employees who can access this account. Uh, if you hit 1,000 employees, like, you would renegotiate your contract for a new number that is a set number. But now you have, like, up to 2,000 employees or something like that. Um, it, it basically takes, like, I mean, they want consistency in how much they pay a month, but they also don't want to have to, like, have an HR person go in and, like, manage all this stuff and be like, mm-hmm. oh, now I need to, like, upgrade our plan or add a new employee or deal with, or, like, have to update our invoice for the next month that, that gets generated.
1: Gotcha. Um, so they yeah. would also, this is where that single sign-on stuff, that SSO stuff comes in. Where Yeah, they yeah don't we want,
0: talked a little bit about that, too.
1: Yeah, they don't, they just want it to be, you know, you, you auth through your Google Apps account, or actually, no, you don't even auth, right? They, they can just automatically add users if they yeah. auth as a, as a company?
0: Yeah, I believe so. They, they would connect up their company to, let's say, Transistor. And if a new employee is added and that employee is logged into, I don't know, Google or Office 365 or whatever it is, mm-hmm. then they're, they're granted access to, to our software.
1: So did you get a sense of, because this came out of this new feature we're thinking about building, and I I had introduced this idea of maybe doing some sort of per-user billing, either a one-time setup fee or, um, you know, recurring monthly fee. And so this kind of um, goes counter to that, doesn't it? It It, does, yeah. It
0: actually is, yeah, quite a bit different than what we had been thinking but, you know, I, I mean, neither of us have experienced enterprise plans like this or managing a plan or, like, the process of negotiating a contract. Mm-hmm. So, like, so along with that, like, there's a base price or something like that for an enterprise plan, but, like, most, most... uh. Customers that are signing up for an enterprise plan probably have different pricing just based on their needs and it's all just sort of like negotiated behind the scenes.
1: hmm Yeah, there's not as much transparency into this. Right. I actually saw this, this startup called Capiche. C A uh, P I C H E dot com, I think. And they're trying to this is probably illegal. Uh, they're they're trying to uh, bring more transparency to enterprise pricing. Mm. So if you go to their website, it's like anonymous in Portland uh, and they have one for SendGrid and what their quote oh. was.
0: Is that like Glassdoor for y-
1: Yeah, for it's kind of like Glassdoor for enterprise uh, yeah, quotes. That's kind of weird. Uh, here's one for Twilio. We were able to negotiate a 50% discount for the first year. So people are just sharing like their their. There's experience. so much
0: variability. I mean, I think that ties into the, the next thing, which is this call I had with uh Kind of a big name uh, CDN provider,
1: because mm-hmm. um, we're we're thinking we might need to uh, yeah. So there's there's a couple go fea- up a
0: tier. There's a couple features um, that we might want that are not in our current plan. They mm-hmm. would have, have to require us to upgrade to like an enterprise plan, right? So again, the process is I emailed this, I emailed out and said, hey, we're looking and we're interested in maybe some of these features on the enterprise plan. Mm-hmm. got a, got a call set up uh spoke to this person and i mean it was kind of what i just talked about it's like you know they they were like our base price is 5 grand a month yeah uh now you don't need all the features so we can knock out some of that you don't need a a dedicated support person so we can knock off some from that but like but based on your usage it would still be like 3 grand a month but it's also the end of the the billing cycle and we'd like to get some new people signed up so we can give you a discount. (laughs) And he's like, what are you willing to pay? And so I'm like, maybe this. And he's like, well, we can maybe work with that. So it's all, it's like buying a car. I think it's like, it depends on when you talk to them, how, (laughs) how, how like,
1: you know, (laughs) by the way, I think you should get a discount if your computer is currently on a cardboard box. On a yeah. table, <laughs> like if you're if you're if you're if you if your computer's like you're bringing your computer up or your monitor up and it's just sitting on a cardboard box. Yeah, probably. I think I think you should say, hey, listen, what's the cardboard box discount? <laughs> <laughs> I I think if your LinkedIn profile shows you just like working at your kitchen counter in your boxers, right. there should be a discount for that.
0: Right. I mean, and it also, <laughs> yeah, it also feels a little strange to be like we need the enterprise plan and it's two of us
1: yeah yeah so like, we just all we want is we want the 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 you know the tiny company superpower plan
0: right it's like we want to be enterprise but we're not
2: mm-hmm
1: <laughs> well we don't want to be enterprise so that's the whole thing <laughs> what's the plan for the people who don't want to be enterprise <laughs> yeah this this enterprise labeling is uh, you know, it's discriminatory against right. us. We don't yeah. like it. We we don't accept that label. We we the, we want uh the bootstrapped we plan. want the small business plan that's for but we want it to be powerful. Right. So yeah, it
0: was uh both of those both of those talks were pretty interesting in light of us mm-hmm. maybe needing maybe needing some enterprise plan, but also yep. potentially selling an enterprise plan. So Hmm. Um. I think. I think that just sort of goes along with this whole idea of shaping an idea before we start on it, and like, oh yeah, you, you just don't. You don't know. You don't know much at the beginning without really. I mean, we had assumptions. I think those may or may not still be wrong. Hmm. Um. I don't know if that's necessarily going to change our initial release of this. Thing we're doing, but like, I think it'll certainly affect
1: like subsequent iterations of it. This came up in our phone call yesterday about how you almost like making budget decisions like this for us and infrastructure decisions, which, you know, typically we, you say, well, that's a chore. That's outside of product work. But as we were having the call, it became apparent like, no, we need to shape this. This, this needs to go along with this whole shaping framework we we're using from Basecamp. You know, this needs to come to the betting table, and we need to decide if we have an appetite for this fiscally. Like, uh, you know, do we have an appetite for this in terms of all the changes we'd have to do to our infrastructure to make these new enterprise features work um, that we that we'd be buying? And so that part was that was interesting to have that feeling of. Sometimes those business decisions just get made in a split second. Well, yeah, let's whatever. You know, right? Uh, f- fuck it. Let's just go with it. <laughs> and uh, as we were talking, we had this feeling of and also there's just something about a salesperson saying, Hey, come on, man, you gotta make it make a deal, make a deal. We're at the end of the quarter and kinda of yeah, pushing I mean, you that's, along. You know,
0: that's uh that's that's what that's why they're marketing people.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but but, to be able to take back control and slow things down, yeah and say, "Okay, well, let's shape this. What is this for? um what are our other op- what are our alternatives here um, yeah do we do and- we
0: absolutely need the things that this new plan is going to offer like because mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think I mentioned like it it was a significant increase in what we're paying right now per month,
1: yeah, it was like um. You know, like... A thousand percent? No. 5X? Yeah, 5X. 5X, maybe 8X. Yeah. So, yeah, a big jump. And I think also, as business partners, I mean, you brought up some valid things, some valid points from the infrastructure side of like, you know, we could really use this stuff. But it was the first time I had heard about it. Right. And so I haven't had time to chew on it mentally at all. This actually gave me some clarity about, you know, sometimes I'll present things to you that I've been chewing on for a long time and you'll kind of be like, well, and... Yeah, because I I haven't thought about, I can't
0: make a decision immediately.
1: Yeah, but it, when I was on the other side of it and you're saying, you know, I could really use this for on the infrastructure side, I was like, okay, but <laughs> I just haven't thought about this. And what I like about the shaping process is the the company's leadership is kind of always chewing on things in the background. And but I can't chew on it unless it's been introduced. Hey, here's an idea. What do you think about this? What if we did this? And then you chew on it kind of in the background. Okay, yeah, that's a thing. Maybe we should think about that. Hmm, what are the repercussions of that? And then you know, we might have a phone call, another phone call about it and go, "Okay, how could we shape this work a little bit more?" Mm-hmm. And then actually dedicate a cycle to it. Okay. We're going to spend two weeks. What's our appetite for this? Two weeks to go through the enterprise <laughs> sales process, to negotiate something, to implement something. Do we want to do that? Right. And if we do, then actually commit to it. But a lot of those business slash infrastructure decisions are so easy to just like make and go, okay, I guess we're going to do it. And then it can chew up all this time and energy that you didn't kind of anticipate because you're, you're thinking, well, it's not product work, you know?
0: Right. And, and, and the features we're talking about are like, not immediately actionable by us. Like there was a reason we are looking into them them, Mm and they will help a little bit in the, in the short term, but like, it's not really a thing that I can use Right away, like one of one of them is, but like the other one is like, eh, it'd be nice down the road. Mm-hmm. So we'd be sitting there paying for this thing and not really using it, and it'd just be a little... Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And let's take a break right here so I can tell you about a brand new sponsor, the web developer's secret weapon, HoneyBadger.io. I love these guys. Ben, Star, and Josh, they actually host a podcast on Transistor called FounderQuest. One of my favorite new shows this year, FounderQuestPodcast.com. They even have a official announcer man that does their intros and outros. you got to listen to this. Hold
2: on. Let me play it right here. FounderQuest is a weekly podcast by the founders of HoneyBadger. Zero instrumentation, 360-degree coverage of errors, outages, and service degradations for your web apps. If you have a web app, you need it. Available at HoneyBadger.io.
1: So folks, go check out HoneyBadger.io. Let them know that John and I sent you. this. May, so the, the flip side of this discussion is, do you think, after these two conversations, it's possible for a small bootstrap company like us to get enterprise customers? I think so, yeah. I'd be interested to know, Ben Ornstein, if you're listening, how do you? I want, I want to know how Tuple does this because I know they have per seat pricing, but I wonder if they're doing fixed bids for their enterprise clients. Like they're offering up to 500 seats for whatever. Uh, I know from what I can tell, Ben is saying that uh, you know getting bigger teams onto Tuple. They have uh, it's a pair programming tool, has been very profitable for them. It's been a good move. And they're one of the few small companies that I know are doing enterprise sales. Oh, actually, I got a a message from a listener. This was interesting. Let me just pull it up. Uh, So this is Sarah McMullen. She says, here are the top five things she learned developing products for the enterprise. Oh, and then it became 10. Um, so she's saying, you know, if you're considering going after enterprise customers, here's things to consider. Number one, IP ownership. It makes you clearly define what is yours because this is stuff you have to define in the contract, right? Mm-hmm. Number two, support and maintenance really forces you to figure out what to develop because you will be contractually obligated to support it moving forward. That kind of scares me, actually. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> number three, scale. This is possibly the number one thing. You get a massive audience all at once, especially through global corporations. So you have to be able to scale all of these. For example, if people are using SSO and they have 3,000 employees and all of a sudden all of those employees become users of Transistor all at once, what does that mean for scale? Not just infrastructure, but uh support as well. Right. Uh security. She says as much as it is a pain in the ass having to go through rigor with respect to pen tests, security standards, etc, does make your product better, although some can be overkill. I can see that. Yeah,
0: I think we would <clears throat> we would still have the option to say no to mm-hmm. to to let's say enterprise customers that were requiring us to jump through a bunch of hoops. We'd just be like, no.
1: Yeah, and we have <laughs> not, done that so we have not, done that
0: so far. Not a good fit. Yeah, we have. Yeah,
1: we're like pretty close to signing. I think. Well, we've signed some other kind of enterprise level folks, but the one that we just went through was the first where there was a lot of due diligence, mm-hmm. and there were some things I was like, we just can't. I I just can't go through that due diligence that right. that part there, and. It is it is a negotiation, because then their team came back and said, oh, okay, well, well, we'll just keep going without it. <laughs> uh, number six, saying no. You think it's hard to say no to a small business? How about a big whale? You learn quickly the art of negotiation. <laughs> so I can see this, actually. Especially, you know, if even now, you and I kind of get a little bit giddy whenever a big-name company signs up. yeah. Like when you see a big brand name that you recognize, you're kind of like, "Ooh, wow!" It, it, you feel already kind of like a, you're fanboying a bit, you know. Yep. And uh, it is harder to to say no to some of those folks when you feel like, "Oh, these are these big, impressive companies." Mm-hmm. Uh, number seven: product guidance. Enterprises didn't get to be big overnight. They do have things they can teach you too, about their customers, their way of doing business that can uniquely make your product better. That's something I didn't consider, I think, because I I actually, I think I have a kind of a negative view of the enterprise, like they're this big lumbering dinosaur that doesn't really get it, that somehow just by, you know, legacy is able to make money. Like IBM, you just think, okay, come on, those, are those folks like, is that a smart company? Maybe they are. I don't know. I, this is probably a bad.
0: Yeah. I mean, they're just, they're so big that it's it's hard to say because I'm talking about this having never worked in one of them. So yeah.
1: And especially if you, if you work for startups or small companies, I think a lot of the culture in small companies is often kind of um, cynical about big enterprise companies. Like, oh, look at those, look at that big lumbering dinosaur. Look how uh, inefficient they are, look how you know they have to go through all this process. look at their culture, and um maybe some of that sentiment isn 't correct right um, Number eight, she says these are not fair weather clients as painful as they can be to acquire they won 't always leave you fast uh, and I can see that actually being an advantage. You know, uh, by our nature, uh, we attract um, you know a lot of kind of upstart podcasts that just won't last. But an enterprise company, if they commit to something and they sign a contract, they're gonna they're gonna stick around, right? You know that you've got them for. I mean, you were saying a lot of these contracts are. These are like 12-month, 24-month contracts, right? Yeah,
0: and if you want to leave at six months, you still have to pay the rest of the contract.
1: Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. Uh, number nine, complete... Li- complete Let me try that again. Number nine, completeness. They also force you to ship complete features, not half-assed ones. Don't have documentation <laughs> on how your API works? They will call you on it. Now, that could be hard. <laughs> I mean, we we always ship. I think we do ship complete features, um, and actually, we I think we're pretty good at documentation. Mm-hmm. So maybe maybe this wouldn't be a big deal for us. I I think one thing that worries me about completeness is whether, <laughs> <laughs> like, our definition of complete is often you know a simple first version that works well. Yep. Yeah, I mean,
0: I think it's you know we we get we get requests and like feature requests from customers and I f- feel like it would be a lot harder to ignore the, like we ignore them sometimes or like push them off or say, we don't know when we're going to do that. But if it's someone paying a large amount of money a month mm-hmm. and it's something they probably need, it's like probably going to be a little bit harder to push those off.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the pressure I think yeah and that goes back to what she was saying about saying no mm-hmm. uh, and then the final thing she says, number ten, money, the money is great <laughs> right well, that's obvious, right? She says they can still nickel and dime you, but it's not as bad like they so they they have professional negotiators that are you know in uh procurement or whatever, but they generally you can charge them more, and you know this is certainly what I've heard from. Like I said, Des Trainer at Intercom. There's lots of folks that say, yeah, you know. And this is why I'm curious about Tuple's uh, experience so far. Part of it is I just don't believe it's possible for a small two-person startup to sell to the enterprise. But I could be wrong about that. So yeah, it'd be interesting to hear more from uh, listeners. Thanks to Sarah for reaching out on that. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention quickly that I've been working on is I've been rereading this book. Well, actually, I took his course first. Donald Miller wrote this book called "Building a Story Brand," and uh, it's it's all about positioning uh, your 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 product. Uh, the 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 sub headline is "Clarify your message so customers will listen." And I was listening to the the audio book while uh, I was driving to Idaho, and. I think it's yeah. It's, it was really helpful just to listen to it and think about you know who is transistor for, what challenges are they facing? How does our product help them overcome the challenge? Yeah,
0: you're coming up with a story.
1: Yeah, there's a it's a story framework. So he he thinks all good marketing uses the same storytelling framework that authors use, and he was formerly a fiction writer. So he he was using this to write fiction books. And then he realized that this also works in marketing. And he says the big mistake he saw companies making is that on most, if you go to most companies' websites, the company is the hero of the story. Well, in 1867, we started uh, John Buddha and Jackson Co. Uh, and, you know, it's all about how, uh, you know, it's all about the company. But the he thinks the real hero of a company's narrative needs to be the customer. What superpower are you giving the customer, right? right. Isn't that what, uh, what's your name? Uh, Kathy Sierra. S-
0: Kathy Sierra talks about, yeah.
1: Yeah, which is always nice when you when you read a book, like Kathy Sierra's book, Badass, is great. If you haven't read it yet, yeah, you should definitely read it. Uh, when there's alignment between smart people, so... His framework really kind of, I think, connects with what Kathy was saying. Yeah, and so I've been working through... um, He has actually a free tool at mystorybrand.com that takes you through his framework. So a character, what do they want? Uh, And that's kind of like, what's their end goal? Like, what are they setting out to do? And then what's the problem they encounter on the way? You know, is uh, is there a villain Is there an external threat, an internal thing, some philosophical uh, block? And then meets a guide. So, you know, I think in his framework, the company is the guide. It's kind of like in Star Wars, Luke Skywalker meets Obi-Wan Kenobi and then meets Yoda, right? And they kind of guide him through, uh, they give him a plan for success, right? and um, calls them to action, and then what kind of character transformation does the hero go through? What does the end success look like? Yeah, so I'm kind of listening to a chapter and trying to go through uh, one of these steps uh, along the way. And I found it really, even if I, even if I don't fill the, this whole thing out, it's inspiring to have somebody bring up uh, a topic... And then to start thinking about our website and go, oh, yeah, like, we really need to fix that part. And hmm, yeah, it would be good to clarify this. And I think another book that I'd like to read, uh, I've been listening to her on a lot of podcasts, is April Dunford. Um, She wrote a book on positioning that is just dynamite. Uh, April was on one of our customers' podcasts, uh, Jason Resnick, and he has a podcast called Live in the Feast. Here's a clip.
2: In Positioning. If you look at the research, the research tells us that as human beings, when we encounter something that we have never encountered before, we use what we already understand to figure out this new thing. So we kind of use a reference point of what we know to figure out what the heck is this new thing I know nothing about. And so in marketing, what that means is I try to figure out what box to put you in, what frame of reference to put you in. And if you don't give me one, I got to make one up. And if you give me one, I'm going to grab that and run with it as hard as I can. And usually that framing is market categorization. So if I were to come up to you and say, hey, I got this product, and I don't tell you anything about it, I just say, hey, I got this product and it's a CRM. I have told you nothing. All I've done is told you the market category. But I guarantee you, you just made a bunch of assumptions about that product in your head. Mm-hmm. Who's my competitor? Salesforce. Right? Who's, right, yeah. who's, how much does it cost? Well, probably doesn't cost more than Salesforce. That's the upper bound. Like they, they own this market. So that's the upper bound. So I just set an upper bound on my pricing right there by telling you I'm a CRM. What, what's my feature set? Well, there's, there's CRM stuff, right? I can probably track a deal across a pipeline. I can keep track of accounts, all this stuff. Who's my target buyer? Vice president of sales, that's who you sell CRM to, right? So you just assumed all that stuff. I didn't tell you anything. I just said I'm a CRM. That's the market market category. So if I do a good job picking that market category and all those assumptions that I trigger in your mind are true, fantastic. Because I don't have to tell you who my competitor is. It's assumed. I don't have to list every single feature. It's assumed, right? If my pricing is in the boundaries, then you're probably not going to get a whole lot of pushback on that. Mm -hmm. But... If I did a lousy job of picking my market category and what I triggered was a bunch of assumptions about your product that are not true, now you got trouble. Now you're going to have to spend a significant amount of your sales and marketing energy saying, no, 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 not that kind of CRM. No, 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 not a CRM like that. And I'm going to spend all my time trying to unwind the damage that that positioning has already done.
1: So she's talking about how when you say, for example, hey, I'm starting a podcast hosting company. Instantly, most people who are familiar with podcasting know what that is. They have a bucket to put that in. Like, okay, I, I know what this is right now. And uh, in turn, I think it aligns with what Donald Miller is saying and what Kathy Sierra is saying. Like, you can, the, the customer is the hero of the story. Mm-hmm. But when you're introducing something for them, they're looking for a guide that is recognizable. Like they're looking for a solution that fits in with a, in their existing framework, right? Uh, April says people make decisions based on what they already know. And yeah, so anyway, all three of those things have been really helpful for me. I think uh, I'll put the links in the show notes. Uh, Maybe to close things off, do you want to give a little bit of update on this dark mode player? I don't think we've talked about this yet.
0: Uh no we haven't. Yeah. Uh we had a f- yeah we had a few requests for this. I think it was something I had actually uh built. I had planned on doing when I initially built our embeddable player like I actually had uh a CSS file <laughs> for Oh really? A dark play- Yeah, so what we're talking about here is our our embeddable uh, audio player is right now it's white. Mm-hmm. Um, a, lot, a few people have asked if they could have a dark player so the background everything's dark and the text is lighter mm-hmm. um, so I kind of dug that up it wasn't actually too hard to get uh, an initial version going but then I've I've been slowly making like a few other uh, kind of quality of life upgrades to the player itself so sweet uh, along with along with a dark mode there will be a couple other improvements um, I don't necessarily know when that'll be done, but mm-hmm.
1: it's uh, it's in the works. It's working and functional. <laughs> How are you feeling about... Uh, one concern I have is that we said we were going to start our six-week cycle on the 3rd. Right. I wonder if we need to push that off. Because it would be nice to ship the dark mode player before that. Yeah, it would. Yeah, I mean, we could do that. Um, I wonder if we should... What about on the, either the 6th or the following uh, Tuesday. So the, uh, yeah, the 10th, the 10th. Cause I'd like to have an official start to that, that, you know, six week right. shaping cycle so we can, we can have a good experiment. And yeah, th- the 10th, the
0: 10th might be good. I mean, it's Monday is a holiday for us. Yeah. Um, lab- um, labor day.
1: Yeah. We have labor day too. Uh,
0: I mean, I think the, the thing we probably want to try to avoid is like, pushing things back, I feel like it would be easy to fill in the gaps with stuff that we could do that are like a day or two mm-hmm. project or fin-
1: finish yeah. a thing. And then
0: it's like, oh, well, let's maybe not start the 10th. Let's start like the following week. So
1: yeah, I I'm just we thinking just kinda... we need a, we need a cleanse before we yeah. start the, the cycle. And if we could ship that one feature, because that's really the only thing that's really stopping us from Like that's the only major thing on the books right now. Yeah, there's a
0: lot of yeah. There's a couple of other small things I've been slowly pecking away at, but
1: nothing, Mm -hmm. nothing major. Yeah, yeah. So let's we'll push it back to the tenth, and uh, yeah, try to let's try to ship that before yeah before we start. Cool, cool. Um, One more thing I'll bring up just because I thought it was interesting an interesting quote to think about. It's from this article called um, Unix at 50 from Ars Technica. And it says, Unix came about because Bell Labs hired smart people and gave them the freedom to amuse themselves, trusting that their projects would be useful more often than not. And I thought that the whole story of Unix, which is now 50 years old, which has had incredible staying power, it's still widely used. Uh, Linux is based off Unix. The Mac terminal is based off Unix. Uh, it's, it, it's, it's, yeah. I mean, it runs most of the internet. <laughs> it runs most of the internet. And so this idea that that came out of not a culture of oppression and hustle and grinding people, but of openness and freedom. And air to breathe. And I think that aligns with kind of a lot of things we've been talking about.
0: Yeah. Totally.
1: All right. John, why don't you thank our lovely Patreon supporters? Lovely, long list of supporters. Yeah. Uh,
0: thanks, everyone, uh, for supporting us. Uh, we have Evandro Sassy. Still don't know if I get that right. <laughs> uh, Pradyumna pra- pra- Schmbecker or PD for short.
1: Yeah, we had funny thing is we had somebody uh, tell us, um, a friend of his was like, oh, yeah, that's my that's my buddy. You said his name perfect. Nice, nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: ben Mann, Noah Prale, David Colgan, Robert Simplicio, Colin Gray from le2.com, Josh Smith, Ivan Kerkovic, Brian Ray, Miguel Pedrofita, Shane smith Austin Loveless, Simon Bennett, Corey Haynes, Michael Sitver, Paul Jarvis, and Jack Ellis. My brother, Dan Buda. Danbuda.com. <laughs> Our friend, Darby Frey, Samori Augusto, Dave Young, Brad from Canada, Sammy Shukert, Dan Erickson, Mike Walker, Adam Devander, Dave Junta.
1: Junta. I got <laughs> I- a, I got a really nice email from Junta this past week. Oh, awesome. Yeah, it was really, really kind. Nice. That's cool. And encouraging. Good. That's yeah, awesome. it was nice. I, I replied with a heart emoji. That That's how good it was. <laughs> <laughs>
0: nice. Uh, Kyle Fox from GetRewardful.com and our sponsor this week, Active Campaign.
1: All right, folks. Thanks for listening. We will see you next week. Oh, by the way, go and uh, if you want to talk about this episode go to podhunt.app. And if it hasn't already been submitted, submit it. If it has been submitted, leave a comment. We'd love to interact with you there. Podcast hosting is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to Transistor.fm Justin and get 15% off your first year.